Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the show. This is, of course, David Scales for Surf Splendor. And today's guest is San Diego surfboard shaper Josh Hall. Before we get to Josh, however, I have a few things that I want to announce. Firstly, we're giving away a surfboard. So part of my goal since day one here has been to highlight board builders. And surfboards are the one thing that are, that are an absolute necessity for the act of surfing. There's certainly an element of art and craftsmanship required to make a surfboard, but surprisingly, it turns out to be among the least profitable ways to make a living in the surf industrial complex. So the people who opt into that lifestyle are interesting interview subjects because of those reasons, and um, they'll always be relevant to any conversation about surfing. That's why there's such a prominent feature on this show. So as the show has developed, I've had a number of surfboard shapers reach out to me asking if they could advertise on this show, which I thought long and hard about, and I just don't think it's a good fit. Obviously, I'm doing these long-form interviews with surfboard shapers, so if I squeezed in an advertisement for another shaper, it would be akin to a conflict of interest. It's not really a conflict of interest, but it it also doesn't really feel like the right move. But I do want to support that community. So I've designed what I think might be the perfect solution. And it's basically an affiliate program. This show is mainly supported by listeners with an assist from the brand partnerships like Spy, Fanatic, and Need Essentials. And we figured that it would be an opportunity to honor the listeners' support, the people who have supported this show for the last two years since we've opened up that donation platform. This will be an opportunity to honor them while simultaneously highlighting a specific surfboard design or a new construction. So the shaper will donate the board. Um, I'll tell you all about it, and then I'll raffle it off at the end of the month. So everybody who supports this show via the PayPal donation link on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate, everybody who donates in the month of April will be entered to win. You can make just a one-time donation for this month, or you can set up a monthly recurring donation. We have a $5, $10, or $20 option. If you've already set a recurring donation, perfect. You're entered to win. We're going to launch the program this month, but I plan to continue it for as long as I can get board builders to participate. So it might not be every single month, but it'll certainly be quarterly, and hopefully we can kind of pull it together every other month. And I wanted to launch this month in honor of Earth Day, which I think is April 22nd this month. And um, so we're going to do that by kind of directing our focus to an always forward-thinking Maui-based board builder, Jeff Timponi. Jeff's restructured his business and supply chain to reduce his environmental impact by offering what he calls the Maui Leaf Light Construction. He offers this as an alternative to traditional construction boards, so... You can buy a regular construction board, traditional construction board from him, or buy it with this Maui Leaf Light construction. And the Maui Leaf Light construction is comprised of recycled foam, plant-based epoxy resin, and then something that I didn't even know existed, which is hemp and flax seed cloth blends. So yeah, there's there's always going to be maybe at least one layer of, of fiberglass covering the hemp and the flax because they don't tend to, if you bump them, say you sand through to the hemp through the hot coat, it fuzzes up and you cannot get it back. Got it. But that's been some of the trial and error stuff we've had to work with, with, you know, kind of figuring this all out. So that's the thing with 
moving towards improved sustainability, it requires trial and error from all three parties. Uh, it's expensive and time consuming, but the three parties being the manufacturer of those raw materials, the board builder, and then the end user, the surfer, you and I. So my goal here is to kind of demystify what sustainability means, what goes into it, and then kind of uh, get you to direct your attention at it and hopefully support those things. So I think that sometimes we hear the phrase alternative construction, and we assume that while we might be gaining you know, sustainability, we might be sacrificing an element of performance or durability by making those adjustments. So I asked Jeff about the reality of you know, what sustainability is and what is his general interest in sustainability in surfboard manufacturing. Well, our, you know, our interest in sustainability comes from just wanting to make a better product. Oh. You know, I've been updating, I've always updating the aspects of my work, whether it's trying different materials, design concepts, or even the process. We're always trying to pursue perfection, hmm. like, like, you know, like any craftsman. But I've also come to embrace being adaptable. I mean, I've always thought if once you think you know it all, you're kind of like a dinosaur, you're, you know, you're done. Right. So I, I've always, you know, which led me to be, to be one of the first guys to make kite boards and tow boards and stand-up paddle boards. And just because it was, you know, it was fun. It was, it was always a challenge to figure out how they were put together, what worked the best. I've always, had room, I've always tried to leave room for learning and improvement in myself and my business. You know, back when I started building boards, the boards were built pretty strong and tough for no other reason just that was what the materials allowed mm -hmm. you know weight wasn't an issue so i took the my i've taken that mindset with me throughout my board building careers try to build them to last and give the customer their money's worth there's tons of cheap boards being made by the thousands out there and all price price to move you know the that that the problem with that model of production really makes quality a top priority Right. So for the most part, doesn't, you know, doesn't give the consideration to the impacts of their operations and the products. You know, if the board falls apart, it's bad on my craft and the brand. Right. And, you know, turns out nowadays that building surfboard, building a surfboard with longevity in mind is a major criteria for the board to be sustainable. So we all know that terms like sustainability get bandied about as a marketing ploy. But what you should ask, whoever is using that term, is just how they approach sustainability. For Timpone surfboards, durability is actually a key factor in sustainability. But Jeff also knows that regardless of how durable you make a surfboard, nobody will buy it if it hinders their performance. So thankfully, he spent a lot of time um, testing performance, and his son, Nick, is a avid surfer, and he's kind of employed as their test pilot. EPS and epoxy are nowadays regarded as high, high performance materials for surfboards construction. So the materials we use just offer a variety of applications to yield different flexes and board weights. Um, you know, that's just depending on the, the conditions or the surfer's preference. Mm -hmm. The plant-based epoxy creates a reliably strong shell with a high flex tolerance. And the combination of epoxy on top of the higher density recycled EPS core you know, allows the board to feel very responsive and buoyant, even when the waves are kind of gutless. Mm -hmm. 
and I've actually, you know, one of my biggest test riders has been my son, Nick, and he started riding styro epoxies the year Clark closed. Mm -hmm. And he, I've tried to slip in the, the odd polyester here and there on him, but he can, he can't ride anything but a custom epoxy. Interesting. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is kind of a, uh, kind of a, a defining moment so I kind of understand where he's coming from and that makes me think that we're on to something they're on to something and I wanted to support their research efforts so we are giving away a custom Maui leaf light shortboard if you win you'll be responsible for covering the shipping costs just getting the board from Maui to wherever you are but they ship around the world all the time so they'll figure it out for you um, also, if you win, I'll put you in contact with Jeff and his son, Nick, and they'll build the board custom based on your needs and where you surf. And again, to be entered to win, simply make a donation to this show during the month of April via our PayPal link on surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate. And we will randomly select a winner on May 1st, 2018. So if you're already set up with a monthly recurring donation, you are already entered to win. So don't worry about that. And then um, I'll have plenty more to share from my conversation with Jeff throughout this entire month. So you can look forward to hearing more from him. And um, also before moving to Maui, Jeff actually got his start surf uh, shaping boards in Huntington Beach, which is where I grew up surfing and where I currently live. And then completely coincidentally, my second or third board was actually a Temponi. It was this potato chip kind of thin little short board, super rockered out, what everybody, what Kelly basically was riding back in the early 90s. And um, it was my buddy's board, but I was tired of the board that I was riding, and so I traded him for it. And I had seen that Temponi logo on boards in the magazines. I remember Rush Randall like doing a backflip in Maui in a sequence, and um, so I always associ associated that, you know, Timpone logo with doing big airs into the wind. And I thought it would help me rip if I got my buddy's board. Um, anyway, it's a full circle moment for me here on the show. And uh, even more full circle, I'm actually going to be ordering myself a Maui Leaf Light board because I'm going to be going to Maui in October, joining my parents for a little family vacation. So... Um, Two things. I'll be recording new episodes or a few episodes of Surf Splendor while I'm there. So if you have any recommendations for interview subjects, feel free to send them my way. And then also, I need to find accommodation for four people. So if you have a rental property, perhaps, please reach out to me and let me know. I'd be glad to support you there. Or maybe you just work for one of the hotels. I'm totally open to that as well. Last year when I went to Cuba, I mentioned it and listeners chimed in they sent me emails they provided a tremendous amount of guidance and insight which i then compiled kind of synthesized with and then added my own insights and put it together into a pdf document and then i shared that with literally a couple dozen of listeners who um, heard me talking about it they emailed me i emailed them this document and so it just went a long way. That bit of information that you listeners provided for me went a long way to other listeners. So that was a really great communal podcast experience, and I would love to do it again. So Maui recommendations, send them my way. Thank you. Also, in the spirit of Earth Day, Spy and I are giving away Surf Rider Foundation memberships. 
So I introduced them as a, as a sponsor last month, and you listeners have done a great job of supporting them. Whenever you used our promo code podcast, you got a free t-shirt. Thank you for doing that. Well, this month, we've decided that if you order either sunglasses or snow goggles on their website, we will be purchasing and sending you a one-year gift membership to the Surfrider Foundation. So I believe once you become a member, you will see the good work that they're doing and you will renew that membership at the end of the year and perhaps in perpetuity. So spyoptic.com, use the promo code podcast to support this show and then I'm going to pay for half, Spy will pay for half, and we will give you a Surfrider Foundation membership. And then, of course, you will get our um, limited edition branded Surf Splendor sunglass baggie with your purchase. So I've been hyping their Happy Lens technology, which was designed after studies of seasonal affective disorder in areas of low light like Seattle or low sunlight like Seattle and Alaska. Basically, doctors are helping to elevate patients' mood by treating them with long wave blue light and then spy based on those studies developed this happy lens technology which lets the good light in and then blocks out the harmful short wave blue light so you can learn more about that technology on spyoptic.com find the right pair of shades for you and then use that promo code podcast and again we'll gift you a surf rider foundation membership for one full year in honor of earth day So you win, we win, spy wins, and more importantly, the environment wins. All right. Thank you for that. And then incidentally, Josh Hall was actually wearing a pair of happy lenses when I met him to record this episode. That is not a joke. That is true. So many, many listeners have been asking for this interview with Josh Hall for a long time. And I don't know why it took me so long. He and I hit it off immediately. We have a lot in common, namely surfing and wine are our main passions in life. And anyway, I'd give you his resume here like I normally do, but we cover all of that in our discussion. So I'll let him give it to you straight. Suffice to say, his surfboards are in very high demand. And I think some of that is probably supported by hype. You know, once you are in demand, everybody suddenly it multiplies and everybody wants a piece. But his reputation is absolutely grounded in craftsmanship and spectacular aesthetic And the undeniable fact that everyone who rides his boards says that they just work better. So without further ado, I am David Scales, and this is my conversation with Josh Hall. Enjoy. Dude, we need to talk, before we talk about surfing, we need to talk about wine. Vino, tinto. <laughs> yeah. Um, Where do you I, want to start? I noticed your Zio Baffa on the table. Yep, got a uh, fresh case delivered. <laughs> I know, you're in good with him, right? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, Are you sponsored by Zio Baffa? I am sponsored by Officially? Zio Baffa, yeah. Well, brand ambassador. So whatever that gets you. No, we... Uh, Get me on the program, dude. So, yeah, I know, right? Um First of all, just the whole story about how that came, you know, I've, I've known Jason Baffa a really long time. In fact, 20 years. Um, he really? Bu- he, yeah. He built me back when I was 18. I got sponsored by a company out of Newport beach called Mahalo. And Jason was friends with all those guys. And I'd met Jason and he built me, he used to have a thing called uh, Baffa big boards and they're 60 inch long skateboards. Right. But 
not like flex ones, just meant for cross-stepping, whatever. So I have it at the shop. We I forgot to show you, but uh, so I've known Jason a long time, and of course I've known Luca on and off for 15 years. Being he's in San Diego and a surfer, um, and then Delmore, Chris Delmore, I've known a long time, and so um, I guess it was last year, early last year, Luca hit me up like, hey, what do you think about this? you know, being a brand ambassador for this new wine company that Jason's and, and Chris is involved in with this organic winery. And I go, yeah. So I started geeking out with Luca because he's the importer distributor. And of course I had, I used to be an importer distributor back 15 years ago now. So I had a lot of wine knowledge and he was like, whoa, really? You know, because typical surfers are just like, you know, Modelo's yeah. at the beach and whatever, which I like as well. But, uh, you know, we used to import from uh, Spain, Chile and Argentina into San Diego, we distributed throughout California and a couple places in Las Vegas. But uh, boy, I learned a lot in three years. Anyways, long story short, um, uh, Luca, you know, talked about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm on board with their ethos." You know, it's about family, keeping it clean, uh, the organic uh, winery that P Pier Giorgio Castellani, whose family, by the way, I think if I'm not um, mistaken, is the fifth or sixth largest producer of wines in Italy. Oh wow. Um, I mean, we're talking upwards of 25 million bottles a year, which is a lot, Crazy. um, you know, different labels and different, yeah, yeah, you know, but, um, anyway, so I, I just was like, yeah, whatever you need for me, I'm down. You know, of course I love wine. The product is very, the value of the Zio Baffa wines are off the charts. Mm -hmm. Price quality ratio is probably the best you can get for organic Tuscan wine. Like it's unheard of. So any, anyways, Fast forward, last year we organized a trip to Italy with my girlfriend and her whole family, uh, two sisters, mom and dad, so there's six of us, and we went and stayed at the property with Pier Giorgio. He has a beautiful, uh, the place is called Poggio Alcassone, and, and he has a beautiful, I mean, chateau, but there's multiple apartments and, and rooms. I think it maybe has 10 rooms. And then on the other end of the vineyard, the other knoll is his house. And and uh, so we lined it up and stayed there for four days and Amazing. got to travel around the area. Um, uh, and then actually one morning woke up and, uh, oh, it so happened that Chris Delmore was there with his family. Uh, Connor Coffin was in town for a couple nights because he just finished the Portugal contest and we like all met up for a dinner the very first night and uh, that just set the vibe and um, went around. We uh, Pierre Giorgio took us on the tour, the Bella Vita tour. So we got to go through all the places that are in the movie uh, that Jason made and oh, just some of the most beautiful wine country I've ever seen in my life, yeah. like hands down. His properties, one of them has an eighth century or ninth century Etruscan tomb that they use for the family cellar. Crazy. I mean, there's vintages back 30 years in there. Right. Um, anyways, that it just, it was mind blowing. But part of it came to be about is because my girlfriend and her family uh, own and run the Scorpion Bay Hotel. Oh. And Pier Giorgio's just like, oh, we got to get the Scorps, you know? So we, we kind of did this kind of trade, trade and now we're waiting for the ability because Jason wants to shoot Devin Howard and I and maybe Tyler Zekian somewhere that we can all get together and do like the big board thing. And for all, you know, Waikiki maybe, or I mean, around here, it'd be nice to be somewhere warm and, you know, Scorps is just down south of the border, but uh, anyways. That's, so I, Jason, I interviewed Jason when he released Bella Vita, mm. and he was telling me about that wine. It was like on the boat or something. It was coming. 
And in my head, I was just like, all right, I get it. It's a novelty, you know, like you're just going to, as an ancillary thing to prop up the film or whatever. I didn't think he was going to do multiple vintages and actually make it its own project. The wine landed and I tasted it. It's great. Yeah, it's It's a great everyday wine. Oh, totally. Not super sophisticated, but just like great everyday wine. Super dependable, clean. And it's clean. Yeah. Yeah, that's for me, you know, so um, Tori's a, a holistic nutritionist, right? So we're always looking for cleaner, less uh, sulfite, l- lower lower sugar wines, because we like to drink wine. But man, if you drink a Californian wine and you have any type of allergy to any of what's in there, bam, you're just like wrecked the next day or you have a headache during dinner or it's not fun. And so um, the fact that Zio's organic and low sugar, low sulfites, you can drink it and not feel the bad effects of all the pesticides and and unfortunately, we just found, she found a, a recently published article that upwards of 90% of all the wine in California and probably other places in the United States has trace amounts of glyphosate, which is the key chemical to Roundup. No way. Yeah. Ni- up, upwards of 90%, maybe even more. Crazy. So that's going to be something to really keep. Because, you know, you drink a big cab from Napa, yeah. you know, and that's, it'll knock you on your, your heels, right? And you'll wake up and you'll be like, whoa. So... Just stuff to be, you know, if we're going to be consuming things readily, you know, all yeah. the time, it's like, well, well mass- make, them, make them cleaner, yeah. you know, so. So uh, over the weekend, are you familiar with the wines Senequinon in Central yeah. Coast? Mm-hmm. Over the weekend, I drank the ro- Rosé, like 2013 Rosé, mm-hmm. aged a little Love bit. Love Rosé, by the way. We drink Rosé all the time. Yeah. yeah and it's great. he makes these super extracted uh, big rosés, but it was 15.4% alcohol Whoa, on a rosé. That might as well be like a fermented... That's weird. I was I've never, tripping. I've never heard of that. It wasn't even good. It was oh. like... I mean, he makes very sought-after wines, you Yes. Know? But I'm like... So I was excited to pop it open, but it was like I drank it, and my girlfriend didn't drink it. She like took a sip. She's like... And she doesn't know anything about wine, but she took a sip. She's like, I don't like it. And I'm like, you know what? That says it all. To not have... like. I unfortunately am subject to knowing who this producer is, knowing the pedigree, knowing the price, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to like it, and I yeah. forced myself over the course of two nights to drink through it because I kept wanting it to speak to me. But yeah, you want to justify the price, probably. But too, ultimately, like, she's right. Yeah. Ultimately, you put it in front of somebody and they smell it and they go, "Smells funky, taste it, and go, eh, I don't like it." And it wasn't all bottle. It. That's no, no okay. No. Yeah. And, and the fact that it's 2013 sounds old, but those rosés, they say to age them. They say to hold on to them, you know? Oh, man. I, to me, that's sort of like the antithesis of a rosé. I like agree you with want you. one or two season old, bright, crisp. Totally. What, 11.5%, maybe 12 But, you know, that's rosé for me. I go 9%. Like, it's the alternative to iced tea. Yeah. Like midday yeah. lunch, super cold, guzzle it. Yeah. I don't want to think about <laughs> know. it, you know? It's that or drink like six Modellos and you're like, well, yeah. I don't need that much beer. <laughs> Let's just have a I don't need a sophisticated rosé. Yeah. I just want to guzzle it. Sophisticated? You know? Well, I got white girl rosé in my fridge right now. White girl rosé? Yeah. Is that yeah. a brand? Yeah, you haven't seen it? No. It's something. I haven't tried it yet, but there you go. White I've, girl rosé. Okay, you're right. I've seen that label. Soup, because they have... They do like a red and a white too, yeah, right? Yeah, I think the red's called the Duke or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen that. Um, so you were talking about importing. Yep. <clears throat> was that your business or you were sales repping for them? Uh, no, we. I became 50% owner of it. Um, let's see. How can I make a long story short? Um, I have a degree in Spanish literature. I lived in Spain my fourth year of school at San Diego State for a year. I'd been there in high school for 
like six weeks during my summer before the senior year. So I knew I wanted to go back. And I was there and a friend that I'd gone to high school with uh, had graduated from Santa Cruz, but he did half his college at Davis. So he had this like viticulture analogy thing under his belt. He was just traveling in Spain, goes, hey, I'm over here. I'm trying to become an importer. I was like, wow, that's cool. And we were good friends in high school. And we had the Spain thing in common because um, we had a teacher who's my best friend today. His name's Smokey Bayless. Um, uh, if you know me well, you've met him and or been down to you know his place in Mexico or whatever. Devin just met him this last trip to Baja and he was pretty blown away. Anyways, long story short, Smokey would take groups of kids every other year to Spain or Costa Rica, about 15. So 97 was the year and it was going to Spain. And, um, you know, my dad, like I was living with my dad. He couldn't really afford it. He goes, look, whatever, like I'll cover what you can't work. You know, I just bought a house and your dad can help me. You know, you guys can help me work on my house when you get back. Went over there, life changer. I'm like, that's it. I want to go back to Spain for school because I really wanted to learn Spanish. Selfishly, really just be able to travel in Baja and not get messed with. Sure. Um, secondary was maybe like, oh, I'll be a Spanish teacher like my friend Smokey because you get half the year off, Christmas vacation. You know, I'm thinking, well, that's a killer surf schedule. Uh, so while I was over there, I, I putzed around Spain with my friend and, um, and you know, we just fed off each other. We had a great – we like rented a car and put 5,000 kilometers on it in a month. Like we went – in fact, one time we drove from Barcelona to Venice, Italy in a day oh. and then did Rome and then came back. Like we did this five-day Italy thing. But anyway, we got back and, and because I – I did okay with my Spain at Salamanca, um, my Spanish classes that I actually had more units than I thought. So my senior year was really easy. It was like 19 units, but I, I'm like, well, I'll just do it over two semesters and surf more. Right. Like that's what I set up my schedule just to be able to surf as much as I possibly could during college. And, uh, so he came back and he formulated the business. He, um, you know, did the, the licensing for the import, the distributor, the resale, all that stuff kind of branded it, um, had a friend who whose mom was a brand like marketer th uh, person. So she came up with the images and literally like a month before I graduated state, two containers of wine hit the warehouse. Wow. So he just was like, well, you ready to go sell some wine and um, hit the pavement. I mean, talk about brutal three years. I mean, not knowing, I mean, knowing a little bit about wine, but not like running a business, not, I mean, it was, it's like getting a master's out of school, but real life. I mean, with real world contacts, I mean, going to wineries, calling wineries, I mean, calling shops, restaurants, bars, I mean, you name it. We, I mean, we had dinners with the wine buyer at Costco here. We had dinners with the buyers, the national buyers at Trader Joe's. Like it, we worked it, but just never, we, we didn't know what we we're doing business wise. Yeah. So we, we were spending, you know, inventory money on paying just rent and whatever. So after about three years that closed down, but, um, what an experience. Oh man, I, I learned so much. And now it's like, now, you know, we were young. I was like 22, right? And you never back then, no one under 30 really like drank wine. Yeah. So we kind of brought this like young passion. And of course we, our main thing is we were passionate about Spain. I mean, just the whole deal, the yeah. food, the art, the culture, the I mean, just, so this was our way to transmit our passion was through selling these wines. And, um, uh, it's funny is that the winery that we decided to import was a boutique producer, high end, that was all about quality over quantity. So now all that vernacular that I learned and, and why it was important, even though it was difficult to sell, but to stick to those values, 
transferred right over into surfboards with the models I grew up with around here. So it's, it's so true. It's the same widget. Well, it's the same vernacular, different widget, let's totally. say, and same philosophy. Um, but I remember I was at a con, I was at the MSA or the call to the wall. It was 2005, maybe 2000, just 2005. And, uh, I remember calling my partner. I was like, I want out of this thing. This thing's a nightmare. Like there's debt. And he goes, no man, I'm trying. Cause he had gotten married and pregnant. And we were like, I was living at my dad's house. I don't know how he was paying for an apartment. But I want out. And he goes, no, listen, it's your company. Take it. And I, and I'm like, and so I debated, debated. I called my guys cause we were doing private label stuff out of Chile, like $60 cases, you know? So buy the glass stuff all day long. And I, Worked with a distributor. I'd got out of our warehouse. We were storing. So I'd really streamlined it because he wasn't around. He had to get a real job yeah. importing stuff from Mexico. So I got to the where the labels, we had tasted the wine. And then I just went, I don't want to fucking do this. Yeah. This isn't my... So surfing and wine are life-consuming passions, right? But you yeah. can't do both full on. No. And I just had them reversed for three years. So then after that... I said, look, man, I'm done. I'm out. Like, however we have to do this legally, because we had, you know, $500 an hour lawyers and partnerships and also, if you ever need to talk about a dissolution of corporation, like I've been there, done that. And I was like 25. Like yeah. I've been through all that gnarly, you know, debt, depression, all that stuff from a fallout of a company. So, um, uh, that, let's see the, we worked it out. He went his way. I went my way, got out of it pretty clean. And I just like kind of cruise. I took six months off, still living in a year that last year I was living at my dad's and, and then, you know, surfing and building one or two a month. Cause I had my shaping room, at my dad's house. So okay. I was like building one board, two boards a month, rope would glass them for me. And, and, uh, finally I just said, fuck it. I'm going to just go for the board building thing. Cause I'd already had a pretty long relationship by then with Skip, you know, and, Whatever. So I sat down with Skip and Donna, had dinner at Charlie's, which is no longer in PV. But uh, they said, "Yeah, whatever you need from us, we'll be, you know we'll support you any way you can. Like go for it." So got back in the restaurant business, right? Because I needed to pay rent, mm -hmm. and but now I had all this wine knowledge, so it was kind of it was super fun. Yeah, you're. You, it's like you can really benefit a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, uh, so that's that, that. So what was the winery that you were talking about in Spain? The high. Low, oh. low production, high quality. Yep. Cava Remarts. Okay. Uh, Remarts Cava, our friend Ernest Martinez and his brother Ricard. Okay. It's like fourth generation. Uh, do you know much about how champagnes and cavas are made? With, yeah. Okay. So it was like hand riddled, you know, super long second fermentations. Like they had a two year, four year and an eight year. So the eight year was called a reserve Chardonnay, you know, three week long hand disgorged. Uh, or hand riddling, hand disgorged, hand labeled, like old school, cool. but small production. Yeah, I've never had it. But for kava to be here over 15 bucks a bottle, yeah. first of all, bubbly in California and at least San Francisco, New York's got culture. San Fran's got a little more and San Diego's like bubbly, like, oh, it's what you drink with orange yeah. juice. So um, it was hard, but but it, but the product spoke yeah. for itself. But So we got a couple restaurant places and a couple, you know, Stores would buy the the, the youngest one because it was maybe fifteen bucks a bottle, but the high end one was like thirty five retail, which is still a value Bargain. when you look at champagne or even California sparkling. Yeah. You know, it came in at like uh, white, Moet White Star or yeah. um, Vouth Glicot, like that level. Yeah. Anyways, well, so blind tasted it blew Dom out of the water by sommeliers. Yeah, yeah. So the reason I ask is you're right. If you look, 
I always look at the wine world to kind of see how they've marketed products, held back production to like uh, kind of bolster demand worldwide, Mm -hmm. you know, and even just little things like stationery. Even when they can't add you to the mailing list, they send you a nice stationery with a note saying, we would love to be able to offer you wine, Mm. but we're not able to this year Mm -hmm. because our production doesn't allow it. And Mm -hmm. maybe down the road we can. The way that they massage customer relationships is very impressive. And I think the surf world can really take a key or, you know, a, um, a lesson from that. Absolutely. And so with the way that you've grown your business, I look at that and it's like, look, dude, super high quality and spare no expense. Sure, I could grow the brand a lot quicker if I wanted to and if I put all these people in place and systems in place, but that's not really the pro. The, yeah. the, the the long, goal, it's not the long term. No, the goal yeah. isn't to just get surfboards in everybody's hands. Yeah. The goal is to build the best quality product and if I can grow it, I will, yeah. but growth or quality is focus, the paramount. First yeah, focus, exactly. You know? So you and I were living kind of simultaneous uh, parallel lives in different counties. I was up in Orange County. But I was in the wine business. I had a retail wine shop for five years from the age of 26 to 31. Went through a lot of Where? things. North Orange County. Well, what's North Orange County? Like Santa Margarita? No, no, no. no. Like uh, Seal Beach area. I came from Maury's of Naples. Okay. If you ever worked with them. They're like 68 Heard of business. them. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of left them and did just a small retail but similar focus to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then we had 1,000 square feet of wine locker storage behind it. And uh, great little business, but exactly what you're talking about where just went through burnout. It was just like, I love wine so much. Let me dive in head first. And then you find yourself three and four years in going, oh my gosh, I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm not getting rich. No, I don't care about wine anymore. Like I don't want to drink. I don't even want to drink tonight. I don't even want, you're constantly going to dinners, constantly entertaining people constantly. And it was like, this is way too much responsibility and I'm not spending any time at the beach. Yeah. So now yeah. I did the same thing where it's kind of like burnout. I'm over it. Don't want to drink anymore. And then you find yourself at the beach and there's business opportunities that come up. You know, like now you have to build a surfboard business. And I can do this really neatly, really mm-hmm. cleanly because of all the experience I have mm-hmm. from that wine thing. Yeah, totally. And I enjoy it so yeah. much more. Yeah. Like the beach lifestyle is way better. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. So it's well, kind of like no regrets and like tremendous reverence for that time. And I'm able to now do what I'm doing with a lot more appreciation. Yeah, know? totally. Well, like I said, I, the way I was able to justify it later was like, well, okay, you just got a real world MBA in yes, wine. Exactly. Like, Beyond it sucked. I lost friendships. I lost money, you know, depression, the whole bit. But on the other side of it, it's I look back and go, well, shit, surfboards. It's easy. 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 Duh. Like, how do you, you know what I mean? I mean, it's still its business, but still like applying all that to surfboards. It's like, I remember because I'd be on email or whatever and I'd get back. Whoa, you wrote me. Thanks for the quick reply. It's like, dude. Hello, like that's how business should be. So funny. Like, I've had know? the exact same thing. The yeah. surf world turns at such a slower pace yeah. than anything else. And like you deal with it, people order a board and they're, they expect to not get it for four months because that's what they're accustomed to. Yeah. You know? Well, it, you know, depending on the year with me, yeah, it's four to five months. So <laughs> I just used, cause I, I should have used it longer time. Yeah. I only, yeah cause we just do so many a week, you know, but well, so we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get yeah. into your board building. I'm yeah. curious. You just referenced skip fry. Um, I feel like people think of you and you're almost synonymous with being 
under the tutelage of Skip and Skip being your mentor, which is a very enviable position for almost anybody who's interested in board building. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious how that happened. How do you know Skip? Well, um, <laughs> uh, I grew up in PB. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Um, I, I just was fortunate. You know, I'm from Claremont originally. So as a Claremonster, your beach is typically you either go to La Jolla Shores or you go to Pacific Beach. And I ended up at, I think I caught my first wave ever at Loring Street, as most of us. And, and then from there, moved down to Crystal Pier and I don't know, eighth, seventh grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And when this whole group of kids from Madison, Claremont, Mission Bay, we all just like converged. You know, UC, some UC kids would come down. So we just had this massive group and, you know, Felspar Street had always been like the legendary cul-de-sac for pretty much everybody that came out of PB, you know, north side of the pier, which you always couldn't surf, by the way. But, you know, us growing up, I mean, you had Roper checked it every day. You had Bird Huffman had South Coast there. And then Hank and Skip, since 90, had... Um, had Harry's like right there. So just those four guys alone, you'd see every day and you can't help, but, you know, have just their influence. And, you know, Roper was sort of the one that would like smack all his groms into order, you know, like if anybody's getting out of line, he'd like put you in check. And, um, I got to know Joe, he, he actually lives down the street, uh, down here, but I was like, I don't know, 14 or something. And he pulls up in his van and we're all hanging out in front of South coast. And, Hey, do you got Groms want to work today? And everybody worked at the shop except me. I was like, what do you got? He's, oh, just some yard stuff. Oh, yeah, sure. Sign me up. So I went and worked for him for a day and, you know, bust my ass and whatever. And God, I got a t-shirt at the end of it. I was like, all right. But anyway, <laughs> so that's, so Skip would clean, you know, Joel always tells the stories, you know, you know, your legend picks trash up at your local beach, you know, and that's Skip. That's what he do. He'd go around with his trash picker up or in bucket every morning so we always saw each other and, you know, you're just you're like, wow. And you knew what a legend he was, you know. And so anyways, um, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, um, I, I was riding some other boards. And then finally, when I was 18, I, you know, I, I went in and talked to Donna, you know, because we'd kind of become friends in the waters. You surf in the same spot all the time. And so I went in and asked about a board and Donna's like, okay, well, what do you want? I'm like, oh, I don't know. So Skip came out and I'm like, I just kind of want an inner, because I knew his boards were so different that however I was surfing was going to be completely different and changed, right? And uh, so I'm like, I just want an introductory model, you know, longboard 9.6. He goes, well, what about an egg? I'm like, sure. So he pulls out these eggs and uh, I'm like, yeah, like whatever you think, like I'm stoked. And so Donna's like, okay, go to Mitch's, order this blank. And so he ordered the blank and then back then he'd wait like three months. Right. So in that time, of course, still eight, you know, still a Grom at 18, wanted to like fish around and hang at the shop. So I started hanging at the shop. Donna would like have me like run errands for her. Like if they went to lunch, I'd watch the shop. So it kind of was just like an organic deal. And then, but I knew, well, when I was 16, my dad came to pick me up and uh, I was like, oh, there's Skip. And he knew that because I was doing ding repair, right? I think everybody starts with ding repair. Yeah. So I was bringing friends' boards back to my house from the beach and then fixing them as ill-informed as I could and give them back to them and charge them 10 bucks or whatever. But I, I knew the shaping thing was like what I really want to do. My dad was a master carpenter, so it's like maybe it was in my jeans. I don't know. Really, it was just to figure out how I could surf like as long as possible. Right. right? Yeah, so yeah. I think that's everybody's goal in the surf industry at some point. Um, 
But uh, so he went and asked Skip, like right there. He's like, oh, I'm going to go ask him. I was like, Dad, don't, man. Like, don't bother him, you know? And I'm just like, uh, I didn't get out of the truck. I was super embarrassed. And I was just like, and sure enough, Skip just like shot me down. He's just like, no, you know what? I, I can't. Sorry. I, I he said something about being burned before by maybe like, what, you know, I don't know what it what that story was. But he just said, no, flat out. No, you can't. So fast forward a couple of years, you know, I ordered a board and I got this hanging around and, you know, Donna kind of adopted me as one of her sons. She doesn't have any kids of her own. So uh, a friend of mine, Ryan, who's a little older and I kind of were her sons. And um, so he called me up. Never forget, I was at state, getting out of class. Hey, shaping your board tomorrow. Let's meet up for a surf and then we'll go in and shape your board. And I thought, whoa, all right. Right there in the morning, pulls a couple of his personals out, like one of the classic fry green, the night... The one that like, I know Joel and some Kenny Lewis guy, those guys remember those boards from the late 80s, early 90s. We pulled one of those out. I think it was 9-0. Mine was 9-6. And we went and served Crystal Pier, classic springtime pier. And just that alone, just walking down from the shop, all my friends were across the street looking at me like, holy crap, man. Like that skips personal, you know, like, like that shit was a big deal. And um, that started it. We went out and he, we came into the room and he shaped my whole board that like, and you know, start to finish as he still does. And, uh, God, it just was like so high from the day that driving home, I literally like almost fell asleep because my adrenaline was just like through the roof. And then that started it. He let me drive the blank over to Roper's so Roper glass glassed it for me. And, uh, I still have it. And I was uh, going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I still have it. I've had two stolen and I've never seen them. Never even surfaced. Yeah. Jeez. Um, one of them I actually did the color work on, and another one was this triple stringer 10-2 nose writer thing that was a bitch and board. But oh, uh, anyway, so that's what started it. How did Just, that board go? Well, it made me. I felt like a kook. Really, I, mean, I still am a kook, but like that made me really. I like I knew his boards were different because everyone like in like in PB, you know, you have that like generation, and I'm friends with a lot of them, like Roper's age guys, you know that grew up and they either rode like Bill Menard's boards or Larry Mobiles or Hank's boards or you had the skip guys. Because again, I knew that once you went with his boards, you couldn't really ride anything else. You didn't get the same feeling out of it. And so guys either growing up were either lovers or haters of his boards. They could get with them or they hated them because they, oh, they dig rail, they don't turn, right? And I'm like, but I knew that, wow, just to be able to ride one of his boards. And so it took me like three months to relearn how to surf. I mean, like I thought, you know, when you get to that phase, that first phase where like, well, I think I can turn pretty good and I can do this and I can cross step and I, yeah, right. Throw all of that out the door. So it took like three months and then, then, oh, I did this turn. I go, oh, that's how they're supposed to feel. Right. And then you start getting that every time. And then once you learn, then I could go through his whole quiver from six feet to 12 feet and I knew how they would ride. Hmm. And I, still today, like, in fact, he just shaped me an 11 footer uh, last month for a belated birthday board. Um, I can still jump on them. And it's like I never quit riding them, even though I've been building boards now for 18 years or whatever. What's the payoff? Once you figure it out, what is the big kind of light bulb that's worth the three months of investment? Well, just the ability. Well, one's just being able to get one. I mean, you know, well, working, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as surfing, you that that was the first time I'd really ever experienced pure trim, right? And just the way his boards go through the water is so unique. And I just was like, I mean, you're hooked. And then you go from right. So I had a nine six egg, 
And then I could write an 11 foot square tail, or I could write an eight foot egg, or I could write a fish Simmons, or I could write, and they all had the same feel, but you could cover different ground. You could go surf outside point tourmaline on one model, and then you could go surf a six, six trifin egg at the beach, but still get that same squirt and, and drive off the bottom and mm. really, you know, and again, Roper for me too, he had so, I mean, he, that's all he rode were fries unless he was up surfing maybe Winnensee or Big Rock. But if he was at the beach, he was on one of his eggs just ripping, like surfing better than anybody else at the beach. Mm. And so that was real impactful. It's like, wow. So there's a guy that's been riding all, you know, boards, different boards his whole life from GNS and Hanky wherever, but he gets on his fries and just hauls ass and his crazy maneuvers. And you're like, all right, well, there goes that theory that they only go straight. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what of those elements from those boards have you brought with you to Josh Hall surfboards? Well, I mean, I've always said like, well, part of learning that, writing those boards was like, man, I might like, I really should take this shaping thing. This is when I was like 18, 19. I was like, no one else shapes like this. Like period at that point. Like not even... The models, the lengths, or the rail, nothing. Like, And I was like, well, if I'm addicted and my surfing's been formed by these boards, like, what am I going to do when he's not shaping anymore, right? So kind of, I was like, in the back of my head, not that, it, I mean, skip 76 and still shapes three, four boards a week sometimes, you know? But in the back of my head, I was like, whoa, like, I need to kind of really get this, get these dialed in. So, of course, like most guys start, however, their mentor, whoever's building these boards, like your templates, right? So... Skip's boards are real parallel, right? So that my a lot of my boards are real parallel. Um, just the bottom bottom contours and rail lines, right? So and rockers, and being with them, it's like I have to learn all the inside, the juicy stuff. You know, you just can't look at a guy building shaping a board and go like, oh yeah, yeah, no, you know. But there's a lot that goes into just that, and spending time. I mean, those couple years when I first hooked up were amazing. I mean, he took me to surf Sano my first time, Malibu my first time, Cliffs my first time, taught me Swamis my first time. Like imagine being the only two longboarders out at Swamis on a pretty good day and like people clearing the way for us. Yeah, I was going to say once you're with Skip, right? It's yeah, but not at PD status. Point though. Really? So grow, yeah, going up to surf the point, even with Skip bringing me up there, those guys didn't give a fuck, man. Really? They were like, whatever, Grom, beat it. Yeah, you know, they, you're bored to go into the rocks. They, didn't, they just sat there. You're lucky if they didn't throw rocks at it when it was in the rocks. Fine. Right? So that's how we. I grew up, and, and it took a while. You know, it took a long time to break that crowd, which I appreciate now because now you go out there, it's a shit show, right? And you, and you say something to somebody, and you're the asshole. It's like, look, dude, like you're dangerous. Yeah. You don't like tourmalines right there. We all learn to surf there. Just I'm not telling not not to surf. I want you to surf because maybe down the line I'll build you a board. But, you know, like, <laughs> like, but for real, like you got, you know, people, that's, a, that's another story. But, um, yeah, so anyways, I, well, I, I wasn't going to set out to reinvent the wheel. Right. Like I wasn't going to learn to have my whole, how I surf and the feelings I like about surfing and go, oh, that's cool. Now I'm going to go try and reinvent the wheel. Right. So a lot of what I do is just falling in suit with where he was at. And he's still, I mean, that was what, 20 years ago? And he's still refining and doing stuff that's, like, if you look at his boards now, same model versus a board back then, we're talking light years of, really? of refinement. Yeah. And he was already refined back then, you know? Like, right. At least we thought. But now you look at, like, for example, um, I was just in Australia and got to hang with Andrew Kidman, right? And Kidman, of course, 
did Litmus with John Frank and, you know, Derek Hines writing Fry Fishes. So he was all, he kind of was just like, Josh, check this out. I mean, look at, here's the original hind fish. Here's the purple and yellow current fish. And then here's the black and red one, which he got like three or four years ago. He's like, look at, you know, he was just tripping how even 25 years ago to now Skip's just like in another realm right. and he's just continuing to go there. And it, I mean, it's cool because you, you're always going to get better. You hope mm -hmm. unless something happens, you know, you get stale or whatever, but, but you can't 25 years ago, you couldn't imagine that there was that much more refinement to no, be implemented. No way. It's like, I remember like he seeing, already was the top. It was, yeah. For me, it was him and Donald, right? They were the top board builders, but then to see the boards that those models that he builds today versus then, and now it's just like, whoa. Right. It's not even comparable. Yeah. So I'm curious, you, you, I would have to imagine there is a long list of people who would love to get that tutelage under Skip. Why do you think Skip let you in to the shaping bit? What, what is about you that? I, dude, I, I don't know. I've always said I've just been the luckiest kid from Claremont, really. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe it's kind of like Donna bringing ryan and i like under her wing a little bit too i mean I, no idea do you have kids hounding you to come learn your craft no uh not not really isn't that weird um well you don't have to learn anymore it's all on the internet you don't need to yeah when i like wanted to ask questions like even like go to roper shop and ask about a dean question they'd be like beat it like fuck like what right get out of here you're gonna what yeah. tools we use? Like, fuck off. Yeah, it was That's how shaping was. You weren't even right. allowed. You know, I remember right before I got my skip, um, Stu Kenson had shaped me two boards. Bob Bochy of Diamond was my baseball coach in like seventh, eighth grade. So we'd go out there and and Bob, I think, mean, whoa, is it cool? Can I go look in the room? And they were like, nah, nah, don't bother. You know, don't go back there. And right. that's how it was. That's all gone. It was a lot more proprietary back then. Um and you're right, people now, they actually want to, sh they'll post it on Instagram. Like, oh. look what I'm doing. Look at the new tool. Look at this new whatever. But I wonder if a kid came into your shaping bay tomorrow and was humble and mm. just like, hey, dude, I just want to learn your craft and I'll sweep. Like, I'll box stuff up for yeah, you. Yeah, it kind of happened what would you actually do? last week. A oh, did it really? Kid, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure what the kid, the guy, kid 25, wanted to talk about, but it was that. But he's like, yo, I moved out here a year ago and I'm just obsessed with this culture and what you're doing and some of the other guys. And, and I was like, yeah, man, but I don't like, there's not like, I was like, go to Joe's, right? Cause Joe, his, his, um, every year I'm like, how's it going? Joe, he's like, God, well, this guy, Bill, and this guy, you know, I'm always looking right. for solid people, you know, which you, it's hard to find. I mean, I told him, frankly, is like, if you have a job that's making you real money, and like you're living in San Diego, which is like really expensive. I was like, don't think about getting into surfboards. Right. It's like if he was younger, he'd already been through school. But like if it was a high school kid, that's just, you know, yeah. I, yeah, I'd yeah, be yeah. like, go to college, get, mm -hmm. get legit education. Don't surfboards, like whatever. If you want to whittle in your backyard, no, don't think about jumping in because it's not. Learn how to build an app. <laughs> totally don't eat. in fact i wouldn't even recommend going to college i'd say go yeah, to exactly. trade school exactly yeah yeah so i i don't know it's just not there yet i i i don't know what it was about me yeah i don't know I just, interesting lucky man yeah ask him i don't know well you what who are some of your other influences um other than skip um board wise and style wise you know joel's what 
five years older than me, six years older. Um, and that mid nineties was when Joel and Donald were doing like the model T and Joel's like, he really brought that style back. Right. And we're not close in age, but you know, he's from here, you know, we grew up pretty much in the same neighborhood. So what those, the boards and style that, that, um, Joel, the way Joel surfed on Donald's boards, like the, the nose riders, cause I couldn't get skipped to build me a proper nose rider, like ever. Right. Like he had his style. He hates that era. Not, he doesn't hate the era, but the boards, he just goes, Ugh, why do you want that? Are you hung up on nose riding? <laughs> right. Like that's his attitude. But, but I'm like, there's nothing better than hanging 10 and nose riding. You know what I mean? Like that feeling. So part of it was, well, you know, looking at how Joel surfed and the types of boards. So that's the other main one. Like if you look at my portfolio of boards that I build, you see the skip style stuff and you can see the, the Donald style stuff, like with the nose rider. So it's sort of, that's really it. I mean, but everybody around, I mean, luckily, I mean, we have so many people here just in this neighborhood. I mean, I have 10 shapers within 500 yards of my shop. Hmm. You know, we're all busy. We're all doing our own thing. So it's just in San Diego, you get to see, I mean, Glenn Horn was another egg guy. Um, I mean, Hanky Rips, Larry Mobile's a you know, PB Point guy. I mean, he has his, you know, he learned from Skip too, but it was like 30 plus years ago. And he's developed, he, there's similarities and outlines, but he's, his rails and bottoms are different and he, and he surfs different, you know? Right. So it's cool that you can get within certain lines, but still have your own little unique. And so for me, I just, I blend those influences and then on how I surf. And that's where my boards are. Sure. I'm not saying it's taken them to be better, but it's taken them to be their own thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, grew up on these, love these influences. This is how I surf and what I want out of boards. So this is where I'm going with it, you know? In regard to your own designs, what are you most excited about exploring right now? Oh, man. I don't know. I build a lot of Fish Simmons because they work in so many different waves. I've been seeing a lot of those yeah. come out. I've never ridden one or anything like it. To me, oh man, the, just the way they go through the water. To me, they're the fastest boards in the water. Are they? Yeah. Um, I, I was a big quad fin guy on them the last, well, say from 2006 to a couple years ago. And then I started going back to the high aspect twins. And I mean, I still like the quads, but maybe different waves and different lengths of the boards. And then the twins are allowing me to go a little bigger with them. And then above that, you know, the, the tri-fin setup, which is what's the standard, you know, front since the beginning. But they're just so versatile. I mean, really, like I have guys riding them in all sorts of breaks all over. And it's and just the speed. They're so the hardest it, to ride. So explain the board design, the length, and... Well, um, my original one was 10-2 uh, and tri-fin. Real flat, though. Now, I mean, that's to see, like, how I like to surf. I've put rocker in a lot of these designs that were normally pretty flat. So right there changes the whole dynamic of a board. You can, you know, you can, I don't know. It's, rocker changes, I mean, everything as do fins. But um, basically it's, I mean, I build from 510 to 12 feet. Wow. Um, and, of course, there's, you know, the big board thing above 10 feet. And then there's nine, six fish sims to me feel like high pro longboards because they're, hmm. There's so much, okay, basically you have parallel outlines, you have a single to double barrel concave, which goes through a, a large V plane. So the, so the V, again, it's all yin and yang. So you flatten tail rocker, it's stiffer, but faster, right? So you lose turning. So then you put V in it, which a lot of guys don't put into them, um, or put enough of it into them, I should say. 
um, you give that that gives you rail rocker. So now you got all the speed from the flat, but you have the rail rocker for the turn. Okay. And and I've just and then you add a little bit of that entry rocker, and you can put them in different places. And yeah, it's uh, my newest one's a seven seven, but I ride a six eight high aspect twin fin all the time. Um, they're just there's so much to play with with just that design. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Interesting. Uh, they look super interesting whenever I see them, but um, I don't see them in the water that much up in Orange County. You yeah. Know, it's kind of a San Diego thing. It is. And I, I mean, I haven't really sold boards in Orange County in a long time either. Like there's not like a pinpoint spot to yeah. like, hey, here, here's what these are, you know, and I might get up to Sano a couple times a summer. Right. So that's, you know, once guys see them, like you have the Rincon, for example, and you have a yeah. long fish and you're like, they're like, what the hell is that thing? But then they see you ride it and they go, whoa, that board actually goes fast and works and blah, 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 and all this. So it's just, it, I'm, I'm stoked because that, that means there's still time for growth, still time. My biggest thing and the most fun um, aspect of what I get to do is I'll get orders from people that I don't know. I don't surf with them and they'll order a board and then they just, I get this like email or voicemail about, oh my gosh, I made these sections I've never made or right. done this and done that. And so for me, like, Growing up with you know Skip and all that, and where we're at now, just being able to propagate boards where people experience trim because a lot of boards don't trim, right? And I see it all the time. And you know, it's I'm not going to pal up to me like, hey, I can build you a board that works better than that. But but like, I could build you a board that you could get what you're looking for, but actually trim and go fast. Mm -hmm. I love just going fast, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's an attainable. That's the other thing is that is athletically an attainable thing in surfing with the right equipment whereas no matter what equipment i'm riding i will never do what john john's doing you know what i mean oh. but trimming it's like no you just need the right equipment yeah and you can get there yeah exactly so that that's what's appealing about yeah it, just getting in early right so you need a board to do that and then just throw on a bottom turn and seeing how far and fast you can go yeah you know let's talk about your business specifically sure. um because of kind of coming out of skips shaping bay and all that i would imagine there's a lot of demand and you from the get-go but now certainly at this point there's a lot of demand for your boards mm. what's been your approach to growth um uh, i don't i mean to be honest like i'm a horrible self-promoter okay like i'm never like i don't i grew up at beaches where you can't really you shouldn't really bring a camera you know, mm -hmm. nowadays that's all out the window, but I, I just, I'm a, yeah, bad at self-promoting. Thankfully with like the internet and Instagram and such and a website, you can kind of get some traction now, you know, and have people that ride your boards, put stuff up. And so it's kind of been organic that way. Um, I do have a couple good retail shop accounts in certain areas that have definitely propagated growth. You know, somebody gets one and the next season they go, holy shit that's the best board I've ever ridden or one of the best boards I've ever ridden. Now I want another one, but I want this big, right? And then their friends ride their old one. And then, so that's kind of how it's been. I've been my, through the wine business, right? Slow growth, right? You could be the flavor of the month and come out with all this marketing shit and then ramp up for two or three years, but that's it, you're done. Mm -hmm. Like your boards are everywhere and no one's gonna be like, all right, next. Mm -hmm. So, and I've seen it happen. Even in my brief career, I've seen guys do that. And it's like, okay, just slow growth. Couple, you know, I don't know, in percentage wise. But um, doing that and then um, just really dialing in. Thomas Campbell's helped me a lot. 
um, with packaging. You know, he did my newest logo that I've had now for, geez, five or six years. Um, brought just sort of like the nice detail, the finished detail to, because I've always been a one color tint guy. I've always liked clean because it's, it never goes out of style, right? Some of the guys get really after the colors, which is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Um, but some of it, it's, I've seen them. I'm like, man, and if somebody buys that from a retail shop, they better be like the hottest guy in the water at their break or they're just going to get ridiculed out, right? It's like, like wearing a white wetsuit or something. Yeah, you know. Unless you're doing giant air reverse. Totally. It's like, kind of, yeah. yeah. But no, there is some really beautiful uh, lamination artistry going on today. But there's also some of it out there where it's just like, oh, I can't, I couldn't have that on a board. So right. again, like Tom, you know, the one color tints, the new logo, which you have a couple different... Um, shapes of it's just kind of brought the package together yeah. which has helped well part of your growth we talked about it when we were at your shop um you used to have your, have your boards glassed elsewhere yeah part of your growth is you've been able to bring that stuff in-house right the glassing lamination all mm -hmm. that yeah so how has that allowed you to i mean I, you can kind of control your own destiny there totally. certainly manage quality yeah um, so that's got to help. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was Timelines. sort of a, something that happened three years ago. Um, we had an opportunity. A friend of mine was getting out of his factory, and, and he had asked way ahead of time, "Hey, would you be interested? You know, maybe in taking this over?" Because it was helping him to get out of having to tear it down. And then numbers wise, we might have been similar in numbers. And it was like, "Oh, well, let me think about it. You know, let me see who I could get to work for me, right?" Because I've been fortunate to work with some of the best glassers in the business. Up to that point, my Achilles heel is I've probably laminated 10 boards in my life. Okay. Right? Or built, start maybe, maybe less than 10, right? So I can't bring somebody in and be like, here's how you do it. Right. Because Skip early on is like, well, if you want to be a surfer, just focus on shaping because you're not going to have time to surf if you want to do everything, right? Now, there's a couple of guys that are out there that are do it. Um, Michael Miller's one of them, Tyler Zekian, of course. Uh, McCallum, Jeff McCallum used to do it a lot back in the day before he got his crew. So there's guys that have been able to do it, but man, it's like, that's, that's a lot. But, yeah. um, so fast forward, we had the opportunity to, um, uh, take this shop over and a, a friend of mine from the PB surf club, Dave Washkoviak, who I've known for probably 15 years, hit me up probably, I don't know, five years ago. Hey, you know, what, what can we do to help you grow your business? And I go, well, I don't know, man. I'm like, shaping a lot when I'm home. I'm traveling. I was like going to Spain for eight weeks every summer, working over there, like living on couches, but just, I was like doing the gypsy shaping thing. I go, so that's, I, I need to do that to keep growing my business. But at that same time, I had got my first, my distributorship in Japan and they need things every month. And so it was harder for me to go, all right, GNS, here's 40 blanks, all organized payment. Boom, boom. Thanks for blasting them. Then I'm gone for eight weeks. Right. So getting that distributor thing kind of was like, shit, I need something to like be able to guarantee that I can deliver on such and such dates. And everybody I've worked with has always done, like I said, top quality. But in summer times or spring when people start ramping up, I can't, I can't deliver on time. Right. So then this opportunity came about and Dave was like, well, what do you think if we just form a new company and we just go 50-50 down the middle with it? I'll run the shop and work on, hi babe. I'll work on the shop and, and um, you know, whatever. And you just keep doing what you're doing, okay? And that's that's how we start. I go, you sure? Because you know what it's going to mean. I travel a lot. Part of it's for surfing, part of it's for business, but I'm gone a lot. And he goes, yeah, no worries. So that's when 
we I I told it was Jeff McCallum's old shop. I said, yeah, we'll do it. And in yeah. May of uh, 15, so it'll be three years this May, he handed us the keys and we've never looked back. I'm curious to hear more about the travel aspect. Um, it's basically you go places and do residencies, right? You go there and you build some boards. I would think that'd be, number one, awesome just to be able to travel the world and then you get to surf. But mm -hmm. also it's got to be informative for you as a shaper to have all these different influences around the world. You know, to see the boards they're building in Australia, mm -hmm. there's, there's, more, there's more homogenization now than ever before. But even still, they have their own little stuff that they're doing there you know yeah to, yeah well I've, i really started traveling in 2009 okay um more of it was because i i had uh my good friend sancho rodriguez does the surf film festival in san sebastian every year and i met him at new york and we hit it off because his family owns remy Uri winery in rioja which is probably one of the longest imported spanish rioja wines ever into the united states so i but he's like a full surfer and he has this festival. And so we just hit it off. And our that was when our friend Tyler and Mike and Adam had the New York Surf Film Festival, like the first two years. So this was the first year. So Sancho was out and we met. And then by the hand of God or whoever, literally the next Monday, he was out surfing one of the local breaks here. And I'm like, Sancho, what are you doing out here? What? Oh, my friend Ian. And I go, who, Ian Gibson? So Ian had lived in Spain the same year I did, but he lived in San Sebastian and hooked up with Sancho. So Sancho was like, yeah, I come out here every year to visit Ian and his family. I was like, dude, no way. And of course I've known Ian from growing up surfing around here. And I was like, dude, I really want to get up. Can, I want to go over there. Cause there, I think a couple of guys had already gone over to like UWL and shaped. And so I was trying to figure it out and it just all happened in six weeks. And then it was like, October 21st, the day before my birthday, boom, I'm in Spain. Hadn't gone since I lived there. So it's been seven years. And and sure enough, Sancho like picked me up. We hung. He introduced me to the guys. And I think I might have done 22 boards or something the first time, right? But it was the seed planner. And I came back. And then that next year, it was like, all right, it's on. And, the, and back then, the euro was worth a lot of money. So I was like living there, shaping, surfing, paying for rent here, right? Mm -hmm. And just... Loving it. You know, I mean, I, I was trying to figure out how I could live there six months a year and live here six months a year. But so that's kind of how it came about. It was like I could go over and do, say, two months of work in a month on the euro, right? And make yeah. good money on the exchange and come back and then continue, you know, have enough to float and still build my business here. Um, and I had up until 2009 been working in restaurants for three years to keep the things afloat, you know, yeah. just to pay rent. And then finally, that summer of 2010 was like, all right, that's it. You know, I got a couple of accounts here. I hadn't had my Japan thing yet, but that helped get to where, okay, now we're heading out a little bit. <laughs> so where else have you done residencies? Obviously, Australia, you said. Do you do any time? No, I haven't. I, I tried last year. Uh, Tori and I went out for a month. We did the Byron Bay Surf Festival. I went up and did Noosa. And I had pre-built and shipped boards but oh, I, okay. I didn't really get much of a much traction out there um there's some guys building really beautiful boards but i know mine would still fit in the market because they're just so unique and the shapes and how they feel but you know it's tough you know there there's tons of guys that build boards there so for somebody to be like hey i'm from san diego i'm coming over can i build 30 boards it's like nah so that that's still a market to open but um i've shaped in new york 
at Joey Falcone's house, uh, the casino. Um, Playero had me out back in 2009. I shaped in Puerto Rico. I've shaped in Portugal, um, Japan, um, France, and Spain. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, since 2012, though, I've had a distributorship in France, which handles Europe, Italy, Spain, France, you know, a little bit. So he's also one of the top glassers in Europe, in my opinion. So it was cool to be able to continue the quality thing, right? Yeah. So I found a, you know, small two-man show, super high quality, great uh, um, rapport with everybody in the industry there, and uh, Fabrice Moros at Blend Glassing. So I go back now and just stay with him and billboards there and he handles the orders and gets them you know small guy like me i like that yeah i met that guy a couple years ago out there and yeah yeah he's super yeah cool. he's great and uh um yeah we just do it you know pretty like again it's pretty guerrilla warfare style you know and a lot of shapers um would be very envious of your position like not only your background access to skip but your popularity and then the demand for your boards and then your ability to kind of travel the world and mm -hmm. do those things what would you change about your current lifestyle and position? Well, I don't know, man. I'm, it's pretty, it's pretty magical every day. Good. I mean, yeah. And now that, you know, Tori and I have been together for, I don't know, two and a half, three years now. And with her family having the place down at Scorps, a place I was already going to surf, we were fortunate. We get to get down there five, six times a year, sometimes with swells, other times just to go. I mean... Yeah, and my dad moved to Kauai three years ago, so I get to go to Kauai Amazing. four or five times a year, and killing it. Yeah, I just would, and been shipping boards to Kauai and Maui. Uh, my friend Eric Casco in Maui helps kind of organize orders there, and so those have been sort of newer markets, and they're different markets. They they both require different boards. It's pretty cool, but I just would, you know, focus on trying to spend more time in Baja and more time in in Kauai and Maui. Because um, some of the trips, you know, they're a big outlay and sometimes you don't get it back. It all helps. Don't get me wrong. We just went to Australia for like 12 days, 13 days to do the Byron Bay Surf Festival. McTavish uh, invited us over for the second time, which is, you know, hanging out with him. Really, he's just a legend. Him and Skipper cut from the same cloth. Just he's Aussie and Skip's from here. But they're same, you know, they're, they just, they look the same. They have the same energy and they're just stoked. And they're... Bob's a little younger than Skip, I think, but they're they're like fourteen year old Groms that just caught their first green faced wave. It's amazing. It's amazing to stay that happy and stoked, you know. Um, the surfboard business has expanded and also extra are kind of contracted yeah. in a lot of different ways. What do you think plagues board builders right now in the industry, and what do you view as kind of a threat to? your business or just the surfboard industry at large? Well, I, I mean, of course the social media things changed who, I mean, I, I probably get a new surfboard company daily that adds me on their, you know, you get a friend request or whatever it is, you know, um, which is kind of blow, blows my mind. It's cool, you know, because San, San Diego's history all started in people's garages too, right? But up until eight, 10 years ago, you didn't have access to any information. Like kids had to kind of go through the, yeah, come to the shop and sweep up and then you're going to pack boards and you might learn how to hot code. Then you might learn how to, you know, and it, people got weeded out that way. Yeah, It wasn't nowadays. It's like, oh, my kid wants to be a shaper. I'll just build a garage and buy him a package kit from, you know, foam easy and put like, boom, 
Insta Shaper, but mm-hmm. they don't, they don't maybe not have had any sort of upbringing. And I think that's the biggest is that, and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, there's definitely stuff out there of me shaping and online. I don't know if that's a good thing. I, I think, I mean, it's glad that that Stokes out there for crafting boards, but at the same time, I, I think there's going to be, I don't know when, but there's definitely going to be a, a sort of a time where you know, the, the cream's going to rise at the top. Like there's going to be like, like there's a lot of stuff out there right now, but then there's, it's going to, I think, come back to where people are going to go like, oh, that was cool. And then they get a board from somebody that's been into it for a long time that knows what they're doing and go, oh, okay. Right. I get it. Like that. Okay. There's a lot you of, know white, I, yeah, there's a lot I mean? of white noise right now. Yeah. What I, would I worry about though with all the white noise? Because I agree with you, the cream will rise to the top. But I wonder, like, um, people start venerating the wrong things. They start, like, idolizing the Instagram shaper who actually doesn't have any chops and doesn't have ability. Yeah. But they only – and they maybe only build one board a month, but they make it look really cool because they're good at showing it. Yeah. They're a marketer or designer. Like, like I wonder <laughs> – here's, here's the example. I wonder if Bob Dylan would have ever become Bob Dylan in American Idol's age. You know, like – when you need to go out on stage and wear makeup and have like a press t- kit with you, yeah, there's so much white noise that it could just drown out, yeah, the real talents. True, you know, I, I, yeah, you're right. I, I do have, a, I do have faith though that we still have like enough elders. I mean, elders is people older than me, not necessarily guys <laughs> in their late seventies, but people that have been around that are, that can shot call and kind of like go, hey. No, that's BS and what this guy's doing is cool. Or, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's, again, like that separation will happen. I don't know how or when, but I think there's, you're going to be able, people can go like, like, who are you? Like, what? Like, no, 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 no. That, like, good luck. Or, hey, this guy grew up here and did this and learned this from this person, worked over here at this person's place. And like, yeah, I'd get him. And he's a great surfer. Right. That's the main thing. How many guys do you know build boards that don't surf? Yeah, or lot. don't surf what they build. Right. So I like, guess I'm not chasing down how to build a thruster like a rusty. That's the difference. I've I never think. even ridden one. The what you're doing and the type of boards you're building, are, I guess, are kind of impervious to market trends and to other things. Mm. Like you will always have a market because it's <laughs> because it's handcrafted. Yeah. It's like this yeah. cutting board, you know, like. Yeah. You don't need to make a million of these. These are super interesting and unique yeah. and there will be a market for it. It seems like talking about ex- the business kind of expanding and contracting, the polarities are going to thrive. Like kind of handcrafting, high quality, doing what you're doing will mm-hmm. thrive. And then the broad market just pumping out tons of high performance shortboards. Those guys seem to thrive as well, mm-hmm. and that'll only become more of a behemoth. Yeah, but there will only be three of those brands. There yeah, won't exactly. be twenty of them. You yeah, know? well, like we were talking about earlier, yeah, Porter or Mike. I mean, couldn't be too long that that one brand takes them all. Right, and that's they the just only place fold you're them in. Them. Yep. Yeah, and that would be scary. You know? It is but, scary. Yeah, it is. I'm, but it's a possibility. Yeah. But the other thing too is, I think that market is kind of shrinking. I mean, as far the as high San, performance shortboard market, or? as far as San Diego goes, I mean, I know there's guys that do build them still, but if you look at the pie 10 years ago or 12, 15 years ago, what style I'm building was say like that much of the pie. Yeah. Now it's like almost the reverse, hmm. you know, cause like I said, within, 
you know, a mile of my shop, there's 10 to 12 other, you know, well-known shapers and we're all, cr- everybody's cranking mm-hmm. no matter what they're building. And so it's like, that's cool. But 10, 15 years ago, we were the tiny small guys that could, were doing 10 a month or whatever the number yeah. be. But, you know, and, and so I think that's shifting. I think the knowledge of quality is getting out there. And so that what I was saying about, you know, the certain guys rising to the top and the other stuff falling away, I think it's kind of happening. I mean, you, you, you're absolutely right. And the fact that you, we were talking again before the mics are on, the couple of retailers that you've lined up in Huntington Beach, you know, it's like, that's an indicator that Huntington Beach, high performance shortboard kind mm-hmm. of Central. mecca. Yeah. yeah it's like, like no, now they want yeah. interesting longer boards with more mm-hmm. foam. Also, Ashton being at Stab, I think is also Great putting some of, on all equipment. Another comes from a longboard yeah. background yeah. and Stab's like high performance. Yeah. magazine traditionally he's now infusing some of that alternate yep. surfboard influence totally. into the magazine yeah. you know i think it's happening i mean it's it's it is happening well, yeah. i don't think it, it, it is happening yeah but it's hard to tell what that final outcome is going to be you know i think yeah I, again it, you know to me i've been so fortunate to be on this side of it like i've i've never you know since I was 12, not knowing what it's like to be able to go order a board, you know, but if I was on the other side, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do some research because it's a lot of money and, uh, you know, what's the guy's lineage? Can he serve? Right, 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 right. Like stuff like that, like to go and to get, you know. Well, you talked about quality. Uh, can you define quality? Like tell me what, how every surfboard shaper I've ever talked to is like, I make a quality board. What is quality? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I'm really fortunate because my crew is like kind of the best, one of the best crews around. Um, they've been, well, that's the one thing too, is almost my whole crew's been building boards longer than I've been alive. Wow. Like that's, that's something to think about. Um, and that's scary too, because how much longer do they have? Right? Yeah. And there's not due to what we were talking about with the social media and the wealth of knowledge that's on our phones, pads of knowledge, I call them. Um, it's not too long to where there's no pool of talented sanders, talented laminators. I mean, we're down to what, three in this town? That really? really three to four. Wow. But there's like that really do the top notch. Um, and as far as I know, like... See, all my guys were cut from the cloth like, I'm not going to teach a fucking kid to take my job. Yeah. Like, why would I do that? They didn't pay no dues, right? Yeah. Well, I'm like going, uh, yeah, but, you know, what's going to happen? You know, yeah. what's going to happen five years, ten years from now? Um, so you know, with the young kids coming up, I, I tell them, if you're going to go do your board thing, whoever, learn everything you can from them. Whether it's just polishing, learn how to polish. Like, if you really... You know, again, that's always been my Achilles heel. I never went that route. I wanted to serve yeah. a lot. So, um, but quality, obviously, I mean, in everything, the quality of the lamination, the color, the richness, the tones. Yeah, everybody can do green. Everybody can do blue. But can everybody hit those off tones and hit them right and make them clean? I mean, the quality of the cuts on the cut laps, your fins, are there bubbles in the fin laminations? Are they straight? Do they hum after they get sanded? I mean, my fortunately, my sander Wade, I can pick a board up that he sanded. It's ready to go, like out the door. You know, I mean, the edges, are the edges even? 
did the shaper shake the edges even, <laughs> which is, you know what I mean? Um, sometimes I, I see a board that gets tinted and I'll, I'll have like finish screen scratches in it and go, oh, you fucking idiot. I mean, I, half of those things you know? are aesthetic. Yeah. But then the other half. Well, the other half is like, where did it come from? You know, like let's, for example, say a 10-6 Eagle or whatever, right? Well, what are the good characteristics of those boards? Well, they got to turn. They got to paddle well, right? They got to have enough rocker. The rails can't be too pinched. They can't be too full. The bottoms have to be right. You know, so there, there's a lot. And so, again, it goes back to, well, who's building them? And, like, what's their lineage? Where they come from? And can they serve, right? Like, you would laugh. It'd look like I'd surf and switch stance on a shortboard, probably, you know, like if I tried to write a shortboard. Um, but it's all those, it's all those things. And of course the, you know, the aesthetics part is a big part. Due to Instagram, there's a lot of shit out there that looks nice, right? but who fucking knows if it works. Mm -hmm. Anybody can make a thing look nice against a, you know, off white background and with a little photo editing. And you're like, Oh wow, that thing's sick. Like yeah. I see stuff get pushed all the time and it's like, yeah, but who from where and how, like right. who, who, you know, like, yeah, there's again, that's the part of the downfall of, having every you know like you said the extremes this way then what we're doing and then there's like everybody just just the backyard you know you get your planer kit you get your shaping kit a room and an instagram and now you're a business right well are you are you paying taxes you living at mom's house like do you have a trust fund like how are you living like right you know um it's all that stuff man there's so much yeah you know um what surfers are you most excited to watch nowadays? Like, if you are on Instagram, what will you kind of stop everything to watch? Um, well, well, I mean, definitely Ryan Birch. I mean, he he's just mind blowing. Um, in the, I mean, there's a but. I mean, I uh, just uh, Bryce Young. We he was in the event uh, with with me at the McTavish Trim. That guy's a phenomenal surfer. Um, Whose boards is he writing? I've seen him writing birches. He, yeah, but I think he might also build some of his own. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's another thing, too, that's kind of changed. It's, you know, like back in the day, the day, whatever that is, back in pro surfing start, a lot of the top guys were board builders. Right. Like they built their own equipment. And then it went to like the big sponsorships, you know, guys like Rusty have a team and the guys just focus on surfing. And kind of what's happening now, there's sort of a trend back. And I think you'll see it. The newest surfer, Thomas, said he was going on a trip last year with all these guys. And I was like, oh, can I get you a twin fin to take to somebody? And they go, he goes, no, like five out of the six guys all build their boards. And I was like, oh, okay. Because, you know, you get a board under those guys' feet and you're like, yeah, right on, you know? Right. But, um, uh, of course, Rostovich. I love watching Rosta surf. I mean, he just blows minds. But So it's kind of going back. Like um, Tyler Warren's also a real beautiful surfer, shaper. Um, Jared Mel, insane. I don't even know what he does on boards. Now he's kind of building boards a little, you know, small kind, like size, uh, business numbers wise. But like, I don't know, it's kind of like the top guys are going back to, to building their own boards. So that's pretty cool. What surfer would you like to work with? Oh, I mean. Who would you love to like develop a relationship with where you were giving him multiples? He, he's going to hate it if he listens to, but I built Taylor a twin fin like last year, Taylor Knox. And he said he wrote it in the Maldives and has footage. And I'm like, where's my footage at, bro? No. Well, <laughs> but he, to see a guy that, like that. They do that twin fin event there, right? 
Where Rhett? No, he was just down oh, like okay. on a trip with his with his I boys. I think they do some sort of an event like that. That would there. be cool. I'd love to go to the Maldives, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, just like honest, like just show me a photo of a cutback, you know? And we we like laughed about it. But um, he still surfs unbelievably, dude. He yeah, just dropped a clip a day or, or a couple days ago on Instagram. It was just like one big frontside wrap, and I'm like, well, that looks exactly like a dude, Taylor Steele film yeah, from the '90s. Yeah, exactly. like it hasn't momentum, changed. Momentum, yeah. So gnarly. No, we. I just. We, um, Tori's really good friends with his wife, so we've gotten all become friends and we hang out. But um, I don't know. I, I still, you know, Joel's always been my hero, and it'd, it'd be rad to like, you know, have him ride a couple fishes. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, there's yeah, everybody. I know. Actually, I saw some footage of uh, Ryan Birch riding one of my boards down in Mexico, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's very you cool. know, CJ. Yeah, that was something. He's been riding my big boards the last shit five or six years maybe a little longer and um he he just rips on him uh blow you know and he he did this thing where he's like hey man build me this board i'm gonna take you down to max and i'll show you i'll I'll get a clip and i'm like yeah right like you know in my head because you give stuff to people and you think they go yeah yeah i'll do this do this and they never do i think he was still on the trip and he sent me a three minute edit and i was like whoa and i've known cj i've known a lot of these guys or a long time, right? We're friends kind of here and there, but uh, he did that and, I, and he did, and he sent it and he was ripping on 11 footer, like proper surfing. And I was like, yep, yeah, that's how you ride a big board, guys. Wow. There it is. And so um, it's great. We're still working working on boards. He's got an 11.6 that we're working on. And gosh, I don't know, man. <laughs> Rasta, I got him a board last year, but I'm waiting to see him ride that, you know? Wow. That'd yeah, be I'd love to see that footage. We don't see enough of that guy. Yeah, he's. But you know what? He's just so homebodied. Yeah. You know, Lauren. They just had their baby, and and he's just roots, man. He just yeah. does. You know, hangs and does his thing. And I get it. I just want to see more of him surfing. I know. I know. <laughs> especially on your board. I'm like, uh. Um, but if you could get any one board from anybody on the planet, what would you get, and from whom? Wow. I don't know. That's I've. I don't know. I don't want to say it. Well, I've kind of. Bob Oley shaped me one last year. Stevie List shaped me one last year. Neil Norris shaped me one last year. Like I'm kind of trying to get one from everybody. Mm-hmm. I think a big brewer pintail. There you go. In, shaped in Kauai. My friend Lyle's kind of helping me. And my friend Jimmy that my dad lives by is really good friends with RB. So just, I mean, I'd be scared shitless to actually have one because then you got to go ride it, you know, but just to get one because RB's like, 81 or two and i saw him in october and you know he's getting up there he's getting old but oh man that's tough uh, yeah sounds like you've built quite a quiver though i'm trying yeah. trying there's still some guys out there um whose boards do you ride currently i mean are you mainly riding your own stuff i wonder i always wonder like certainly you want to test your own stuff but there's got to be importance to writing other people's things as well and kind of taking that. True, yeah. Um, I do primarily ride my stuff. Um, Skip still shapes me a couple boards a year, so I ride those. Um, and I, I do ride all the boards I've collected, like from Steve and uh, uh, the Oli I've got, you know, and, and just to see the different styles. Yeah. But again, like once you get into this design thread, it's really hard to write other... Yeah. Not that they don't work at all, because of course they do, but... The feels are different and how you load and unload and the way they turn, it changes. And it's, it's, so it's like, you know, I go to all these fish fry events. I've been, you know, Japan and 
New York I go every year and they have all the killer boards, you know, and I kind of end up like sticking to ride my own board. Yeah. It's because I know how I like to surf, well, you know, but. And it's also, there's <laughs> so much to explore in this one little thread. Yeah. Like it's a never ending thing that you just keep pulling the strings. So it's hard to, there's not enough time. There's not enough sessions. There's not enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, what's your current relationship like with surfing? Like how often are you able to surf now maintaining the workload that you. Uh, it definitely is not like it was say five or six years ago. Um, but we do, like I said, we do travel a lot. You know, I go to Hawaii a lot. We go down to Baja a lot. So it, it's, it's kind of this like go on a trip and binge surfing and then come home and binge shape because I got to go on another trip and I have to have work lined up. It's not like we last year i probably i built more boards than i ever built and i traveled we traveled more than we've i've ever traveled wow and and again with dave running the shop i'm able to do it but it's not fun because opposed to being home and doing one or two a day three a day i'm home trying to like crank like i'm on my france trips where i'm doing six seven eight a day because i'm only there for 12 shaping days you know right so it's a lot less it just depends when in the year is too because if I know I'm going to be home for six weeks, then I can cruise a little in the shaping room and then surf more, yeah, right? Yeah. But this year has been so shit that like, I'd rather just be in the room working. Yeah, totally. You know? Because that's gratifying too. You know? Oh, yeah. God. I just love building the big boards. It's just so much fun planer work and it's really meditative. And I listen to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to Jordan Peterson probably like eight hours a day. And that's funny. Joe Rogan's stuff and Jocko Willink stuff. Yeah. I love uh, podcasts, man. Yeah, me too. Um, Skip Fry is kind of this mythical character for a lot of people. And obviously he's not like out there on Instagram doing a lot of press and like promoting himself. What's something that we should all know about him as a, as a human being? Tell us who is Skip. <laughs> well, first of all, he is a Christian, like born again Christian, man. He's all he's a he's a God man, a man of God. That's like the number one thing. Humility is beyond words. Oh, okay. I mean, he is, oh, you wouldn't even know, like if you saw him at a shopping center or a store, you wouldn't know who he was. He'd just be this super nice guy that you met at the store. He, You know, other than he wears his wings. He always rocks a fanny pack with dog treats because he loves dogs. And so like my, Sander Wade has Gus, our little shop dog. So every time Skip's over, he'll bring the dog treats out. Um... That's awesome. He's a huge Laker fan. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. Oh, he's got like half a dozen boards named after everybody. Kobe, the Chicky Hearn, uh, the Power Forward. Yeah, like that's a huge, huge Laker fan. Um, And he loves NASCAR. And and, uh, who are the guys out out east? The Duck uh, Dynasty guys. Huge Duck Dynasty fan. NASCAR and Duck Dynasty. Wow, these yeah. are great insights, yeah. dude. Anybody who ever can't get a board from Skip show up with like a duck, like a duck collar, it a happens. duck dynasty show. Oh god, it happens. He's got duck dynasty pillows and amazing the fake beard and oh, it's classic. Oh, and he still skates skateboards. He oh, loves really? skateboarding. Amazing. Oh yeah. What was the last surfboard that you rode? Uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was a six eight longfish in Australia that I flew over that I have here um, and an 11.6 Fish Simmons that I shipped over last year picked it up Thomas Beckson brought it down for me I got to surf it this trip and then I sold it to um, 
who now I consider a good friend, John Frank, who shot Litmus with Andrew Kidman. Yeah. So he took. He's a big, bigger guy, built like me, but a little taller, goofy foot. So I figured, okay. oh, it's a good, good place to find a home. Very cool. Good, good guy to find a home with. Final question: What was the last bottle of wine you drank? That I remember? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a Pinot Bernardis Winery. Oh yeah, Santa Barbara. Yes. Our um, Tori's friend came down and stayed the weekend and left. And we had a bottle. Yeah, Bernardis Pinot. Nice. Yeah, it was really nice. Cool. It was twenty thirteen. Yeah, 2013. Awesome. Yeah. Right on, dude. Cool. Thanks for the time. Stoked. Gladly. So there's some space hog for you. All right, joshhallsurfboards.com, blending tradition with modern design. I have a link to it and everything we discussed in this episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Video of Josh surfing, the video of CJ Nelson riding Josh's 11-footer, photos of Josh and I taken by Slurpee Wave photographer Jonathan Nimmerfro, who happened to be in town when we were recording this episode. He was visiting from Nantucket where he shoots all those slurpy waves. So he came by and shot some photos of us. Uh, you could see all of the visual accompaniment on surfsplendorpodcast.com, along with the comment section where you can join this conversation. And then also, the show is listener-supported. So if you would like to support surfsplendorpodcast.com slash donate, we suggest a $5 monthly donation. All donors through the month of April will be entered to win that Maui Leaf Light surfboard from Timpone Surfboards. And I also forgot to mention earlier that Timpone Surfboards is a member of the 1% for the planet, which means they donate 1% of their annual sales to that organization who supports environmental causes. So uh, Patagonia is a member as well, like great, great organization. And further proof that Timpone Surfboards is putting their efforts and resources towards lessening the environmental impact of our pursuit to ride waves. So again, more from Jeff Timpone throughout the month. You can also follow them on Instagram at Timpone Hawaii and then at Maui Leaflight underscore. I'll link to all that stuff on our website and on Instagram. And of course, don't forget whenever you need sunglasses or snow goggles, spyoptic.com. Use the promo code podcast. Not only will you get our uh, limited edition Surf Splendor sunglass baggie, but you will also receive a Surf Rider Foundation membership for an entire year. That's only through this month of April that we're going to gift that to you. They're doing unbelievable work, and I think that you should be more aware of it and support it. So we're going to gift you that support and then hoping that you uh, continue that membership after the year expires. So spyoptic.com, promo code podcast, see happy. Thank you for that. That is 90 minutes of me talking today, so I'm going to leave it there. 
Um, I'll be back actually at the end of this week with an episode of The Grit with Chaz Smith. So you can make sure to subscribe to that podcast. And then next Tuesday, Spit with Scott Bass. We'll recap Bell's all the stuff that's happened in the last couple of weeks. So make sure to subscribe over there as well. And as always, thank you tremendously for your support. It is very well received, very much appreciated. I am um, thoroughly grateful to continue to explore this endeavor of podcasting. So wholehearted and humble thank you. And until we reconvene, I'm encouraging you to get back into the ocean, catch a couple of waves, and shred on.